0: Micah chapter 5, we're going to read verses 2 to uh, the beginning of of, uh, verse 5. Micah's a little bitty book. It's one of those books where if your pages of your Bible stick together, you you won't think it's there. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. This one shall be peace. So let's look as we break down these verses at some things here. Verse 2 says, The one to be ruler. The one who is from of old, even from everlasting. This one to be ruler is Christ, whose goings forth are from old, even from everlasting. And then it says this, Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. This obviously gives reference to Mary birthing Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? He is the one, the ruler of Israel. He is the one that is from of old, from everlasting. Or in the book of Revelation, he's called the Alpha and the Omega, Alpha was the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega was the last letter of the Greek alphabet. It meant he is the beginning and the end, which means he has no beginning and he has no end. He is from everlasting. He is the eternal one. And so Mary gave birth to this one, to be ruler, this one who is from everlasting, this one who was the everlasting, the eternal one. And it says, therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. He shall give them up. Speaking of Israel. So if you were a historian, if you were interested in history and you studied the history of Israel Micah wrote this from somewhere between 750 B.C. to 686 B.C. So somewhere from the, the, the middle of the 7th century to the early part of the 6th century. So we could say this was easily 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And yet Micah speaks of one, a woman who will, she who will give birth She who is in labor has given birth. And in the meantime, until that time comes that she will give birth, it says that God has given them up. And when you read the history of Israel, you see that after the reign of the kings, when the Babylonians came, there was no king that sat on the throne of David. They were ruled by, they were under foreign rulers starting with Babylon, really with Israel, the northern kingdom, starting with Assyria in the time that Nahum is writing this. And you had the Assyrians, and you had the Babylonians, and you had the Persians and the Medes, then you had the Greeks, then you had the Romans who ruled the world and ruled over Israel when Jesus came. But the prophet here says that he will give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. And so this obviously is speaking of Mary giving birth to Jesus the Messiah. But I, I want you to see something else here. I want you to see that I believe it speaks of something even beyond that, that would not be possible had Mary not given birth to Jesus the Messiah. But I believe it also speaks of those children that are birthed through through the church or as paul refers to it the jerusalem from above who is the mother of us all that's in galatians chapter 4 verse 26 when paul talks about the jerusalem from above and in his letter to the galatians when he writes those words he says but the jerusalem above the jerusalem above is free which is The mother of us all. We just sang a song about feasting in Zion. The psalm talks about being birthed in Zion. And the prophet writes that he will give them up until she who is in labor has given birth. There was the birth of the Messiah. Paul says the Jerusalem above, who is the church, is the mother of us all. We witnessed the baptism of four souls, four, four souls today. And those souls through baptism, that baptism signified that they belong to something, that they are members of something that's real, that they're not just members of an invisible church but they're members of a visible church now everyone that's counted as a member of the visible church that's us that doesn't necessarily mean that they're saved and they're born again I don't know as you come to the table I don't stop each one of you and ask you are you sure that you're born again because you're only supposed to come to this table if you're trusting in Christ But upon your profession of faith publicly, and you make a profession of faith publicly every time you come to that table, whether it comes out of your mouth or not, your profession of faith when you come to that table is taken as real because we count you then as a member of the visible church. Jesus died for the church, not just an invisible church, but he established a visible church on the earth. And he gave ordinances, sacraments of baptism and communion for the visible church. And Paul writes this in his letter to the Corinthians. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about coming to the table in an unworthy manner. And he encouraged the Corinthians to examine themselves. And if we're not careful, we'll limit the meaning of that to something that it doesn't mean. Or, on the other side of the road, in the other ditch, we'll we'll miss what Paul is talking about completely. Jesus says, come into the kingdom like a little child. He took the babies that the apostles forbid to come to him, and they said, no, this is Jesus, he's too important for your babies, and Jesus said, whoa, suffer the little children And allow them to come unto me. And it says they brought the little children to Jesus. And he set those little children, those babies that were not able to walk themselves. He set them in the midst of his disciples. of Those people following him who thought the children were of no importance. Jesus sets the children in the middle. And he says, unless you become as one of these... Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And part of the visible church, the reason, one of the reasons that we baptize those babies today is because those babies are part of the visible church. Those babies... The Bible commands those parents and the Bible commands us to raise up our children as covenant members, to raise them up in faith, to have the expectation that they will manifest saving faith because God has given promises to to parents. God has given covenant promises to covenant parents, to believing parents, and we should believe in and trust those promises. We should live with the expectation that our children will grow up to believe, not with the surprise when they do. We should be surprised if they don't, because if we do what the Bible commands us to do, they should grow up and they should come to faith. God's given us promises about that. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says to the unbelieving spouse, he says, don't leave your unbelieving spouse because you don't know that because you're a believing member, you might sanctify, you might have a part to play. And besides that, he says, because of your faith, even though your husband or your wife may be unbelieving, because of your faith, your children are holy. Now, what's he talking about? He's not saying Your children are automatically saved because one of the parents is a believer. He's saying that your children are holy. In other words, your children are counted as or brought into as members of the covenant. And so there is an expectation for your children because your children have been made holy. They've been set apart. They're not like other children. They're not children that are of the world that are not born to covenant families. Covenant children are not like children born outside of the covenant. Covenant children aren't automatically saved. But covenant children have a promise given by God to their parents. And the parents should believe in and trust in that promise. And so where are those children? Where are they birthed into? They're birthed into the church. Parents... As you have faith in Christ and you have children, your children are birthed into the church. There is an unspoken and a very reasonable expectation that if you are a member of the visible church that you're going to birth your children and your children are going to become members of the visible church. And we should rightly treat them as covenant members. We shouldn't exclude them. And wait for them to get old enough to become covenant members. We should treat them from the moment they're born as covenant members. And we should have the expectation that as they grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They will one day manifest and express their own saving faith in Jesus. We should have that expectation. That's why we gave a charge to the congregation today. Because you have a part to play in that. Your coming to church is not just for yourself. It's not just for those children. It's for all of us. So when Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, When you come to the table of the Lord, when you eat that love feast, when you eat that bread, when you drink that cup that represents the body and the blood of Jesus, he says, Discern the body of Christ. He wasn't saying, discern the bread and the cup. He was saying, discern the body. Look at the body. Look at the diversity. Look at the young. Look at the old. Look at the rich. Look at the poor. Look at the black. Look at the white, the brown, the yellow, the red. Look at the body. Discern. This is the body of Christ. This is the visible church. And you are birthed into Zion. You are birthed by the Holy Spirit. You are birthed Into, by the church from the Jerusalem above, Paul says, who is the mother of us all. We are children of Zion. We are children of God. Members of the covenant. Now, I can't see into your heart. I don't know what's in the depths of your heart. But I see you, and so I count you as covenant members. I treat you as covenant members. And this is why Paul writes, and he says, if you see your brother fall into sin, go to him, you who are spiritual, which means not you who are proud, but you who are spiritual, you who are humble and are able to go to him. Why? Because he's your brother. Because when, when a brother or a sister falls into sin, that there should be a red flag that goes up because we are the family. We're covenant members. We're part of the family. And if we love, then we go in love and we go to restore. When do we do that? We, we do that starting from the very moment our children are born. When we, see, we, when we see our children going somewhere, doing something they shouldn't be doing, whether they're this tall or whether they're this tall, we, we go. We bring correction We help them learn. We guide them. This is what God did with Israel. God did this this with Israel over the course of centuries, of thousands of years. You live your life in a span of time that's measured in decades. We see God in the book working over thousands of years. But God works the same whether it's over thousands of years or whether it's over decades or whether it's in shorter spans of time than that. When his children are birthed, a loving father leads and guides, he disciplines, he nurtures, raises up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. This is what the Holy Spirit inside of us does But he does not do that apart from all of us who are part of the visible church. So the Holy Spirit is using the words that I speak that come from the Scripture. The Holy Spirit is using the words you read as you read the Scripture. The Holy Spirit is using the things you meditate on. The Holy Spirit is using the things that are obvious. He's using the things that are not obvious in your life. Because you are his child. Because you have been given birth. And you belong to God as a covenant member. As a member of his body, a member of his family. And then it says, then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. When she has, who is in labor, has given birth, it says, then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. The children of Israel are the children of promise. They are the children of faith. They are the seed of Abraham in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Romans 9, 6-8, Paul says, Not all Israel are Israel, but those who are of the promise. For it, and then he quotes from the book of Genesis, For in, for in Isaac... Your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Or in Galatians 3.29, Paul writes this, he said, If you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Are you in Christ?" That's an important question to ask. It's an important question for you to answer. And if you are in Christ, the Bible says you are Abraham's seed. Not a physical descendant, but you are a child of the promise. How? By faith. By faith in Jesus Christ. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock... At this in verse 4. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. He shall stand and feed his flock, and they shall abide. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. This is how we stand. We stand in the strength of the Lord. We stand in the majesty of the name of the Lord our God. This is how we stand in his strength, in his majesty, in his glory. We stand and we are fed. We stand and we feed. How do we feed? We feed the flock through word and through deed. We feed the flock as we live out our lives as living epistles. To be read, to be seen, to be heard by all men. If you think I'm the only one that's feeding a flock, you're wrong. We are all the sheep of his pasture. He ultimately is the good shepherd that feeds us. But we are all called, as the prophet says, to be nursing mothers and nursing fathers. We are all called to do the work of ministry. What's the work of ministry? Jesus summed it up like this. Go into all the nations and make disciples. Remember, parent, the most important disciple you'll ever make is your child. But it shouldn't stop there. And so we're all called to feed. We're all called to be God's letters for men to read, to see, to hear. That our life would communicate the goodness of God. The gospel of God. He is doing a work. He is molding and shaping us. So that we become that epistle. Seen and heard and read by all men. So that men will see the goodness of God in us. Not that men would see perfection in us. Because we're all cracked pots. Did you know that? You're just a crackpot. We all are. But God works with cracked pots. God works with the imperfect. God works with the failed. God works with the flawed. God's not waiting for you to clean yourself up and get everything right so you can come to him. God says, you come to me just the way you are, and I'll do the cleaning up. I'll do the work. I'll do the restoration. I'll make all things new. That's his promise to us. So we have no reason to fear coming to our father. Because our father is not wanting to squash us and punish us and condemn us. Our father wants to build us up. Our father, yes, he wants to discipline us. He wants to lead us and guide us, but he wants to build us up. He wants us to be trophies of grace that demonstrate and display his glory for all to see. And the more joy you have in him, the more glory he receives. I tell all my couples that go through premarital counseling with me, the point of your marriage is not to be so committed that you just figure out how to gut it out and just just make it, fake it till you make it. You know, God hates divorce, so even if you're miserable, you know, that's better. No, the, that's not the point. The point is this, that you understand what your marriage is, what it represents, and that the more joyful, the more happy you are together, the more God is glorified. That's the way it is for us as believers. You're not just trudging through the Christian life saying, well, you know, it's better for me to go to heaven than to go to hell. I don't really want to serve God, but what's, what's my alternative? You know, if, if, If that's really the way it worked, who's not going to choose heaven, right? If that's not the way it's going to work, then hell should be empty, right? Because who's going to want to go to hell if they are able to see the reality of heaven? And there is no reality of heaven if there is no Christ. Christ is the reality of heaven. If Christ isn't in heaven, it's not worth being there. We might as well all be in hell, But Christ is the reality of heaven. It's that we would see Christ, that we would know Christ. And out of that seeing and knowing that we would experience the fullness of joy because we are in Christ. There should be no greater joy that you have than knowing that you are in Christ. That doesn't mean you're not going to walk through hard things. There's people here today walking through very hard things. There's more people here today than you probably realize walking through very hard things. But that does not exclude the joy, God says, that we are to have at all times. Otherwise, the command to rejoice in the Lord always is really a ridiculous command. Why would God command us to do that if it would be impossible for us to have joy? If the only way, the only reason we could have joy is if our life was going just the way we wanted it to go. Now, I watched my grandson Noah last night. Noah, you didn't know, Paul saw you. Is he in here? Yeah, there you are. And Noah sat right here right here on this platform, and he had a big red bucket full of marshmallows. We had a marshmallow game where they threw marshmallow and knocked these glasses down. Well, while this other game was going on, I'm sitting on the front row here, and we're sitting at the table, and we're watching Noah just, I mean, get, get handfuls of marshmallows. I mean, he's going this fast with handfuls of marshmallows. I'm like, where... Where in the heck are those marshmallows going? His mouth is not that big. I mean, he, he just didn't stop. Didn't, finally, he got up. And, and I'm trying to get my phone out to get, I'm like, I need video of this. This is hilarious, you know. He walks away. Well, I found out later, you know, he lost all those marshmallows. <laughs> he blew marshmallows all over the place. <laughs> now, at the time, it was like, he, he might as well have been in heaven, Right? I got a bucket full of marshmallows, mom and dad aren't anywhere to be seen to tell me don't do that, and I'm just up here in my my own little world eating marshmallows thinking life is great, and it was for a little bit until he went and blew marshmallows everywhere. Now that's kind of the way our life is. You know, we just want to sit down with a marshmallow bucket and eat marshmallows and we're eating marshmallows thinking life is great. But our Father in heaven knows something that we don't know. It's like you think that's all good, but you don't realize what's going to happen as a result of that. Now that's a mild example. That's a comical example. But you understand where the analogy goes. And this is why we should never question the goodness of God. Children question the goodness of their parents all the time when their parents tell them no when they want to hear a yes, right? But a good parent says no even when their child wants to have a yes because the point is don't ever upset your children. The point is I'm your parent and I know what's best and you think yes is best but I promise you no is best. Right now. He shall stand and feed his flock. And they shall abide. This reminds me. Of John 15. Turn with me to John 15. Let me read to you. The first five verses of John <clears throat> 15 John 15 verse 1 Jesus is talking here in the time between the last supper and his arrest and he says I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is not always a pleasant process. But the point is to produce more fruit. You are already clean. Because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of, its own, of itself. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, without me, you can do nothing. What is, what is the point? Jesus said, I'm the true vine, the Father is the vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you, that you bear much fruit. What is the fruit that he is talking about? It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is love, joy, peace. Let's stop right there. Love, joy, peace. What the Bible is teaching us is that God wants an abundance of love and joy and peace in our lives. He wants it coming from our lives. He wants it overflowing from our lives that tells me that what God wants for me and for you is good it's the best and if we abide in him that's what we have and then verse 5 says and this one is peace This one, who is this one, this ruler who is from of old and everlasting? This one is Christ. Christ himself has become our peace, Ephesians 2.14 declares. To know Christ is to know peace. It is through Christ that God has promised to guard our hearts and mind with a peace that surpasses understanding. Very often it's, th- it's at the end of our self that we find Christ to be our peace that surpasses understanding. Because as long as we are counting on ourselves, or anyone or anything else, Christ will never ultimately be our peace. And what we want is Christ to be our peace and. And there is no such thing. There is not Christ and. It is Christ only. Christ and nothing else can save you. Christ alone can save you. Christ and fill in the blank of anything else is not your peace. Because if Christ is taken out of the equation, you might have what you want, but you do not have peace because he himself is our peace. And he knows what makes for your peace, for love, for joy, for fruitfulness in Your life and my life, and I'll be honest with you, I don't like the way God always works. But God didn't ask me, and he didn't seek my permission to do what he wills to do. But he does do this. He has given us his word. He has revealed to us that even though we don't understand, even though we don't always see, he is good, and he is working good. So we've talked about learning to be content versus being complacent. God doesn't want you to be complacent. He wants you to be content. We've talked about seeing God at work in all things. These are what we've done. This fourth Sunday of the Advent season is the culmination of these things. That knowing Christ, who is our peace, is knowing how to be content. So when we learn to be content in whatever state, we have come to know that he himself is our peace. When we can see God in all things, in the bitter and in the sweet, in the obvious and in the obscure, in the plain, listen, in plain sight, in bright daylight, or in the darkness. When you can see God in the light and in the darkness, we will see and we will know his peace. When we come to experience the miracle of a new heart filled with lasting joy, we can be assured that he will bring us to know the miracle of his lasting peace. Because as the prophet said, this one is our peace. This one is peace. Peace and rest are synonymous Where there is no peace, there is no rest. So to say this one is peace is to say this one is rest. The peace and rest that has been given to us, think about this, came. It came from the smallest of beginnings in this world. From little Bethlehem. From the most obscure place you could imagine comes the ruler, comes the one who is from everlasting, the one who is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. From that small beginning, our peace came. Or as I love to quote from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, when the prophet declares these words, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the spirit of the living God will perform this. The spirit of the living God is performing it in you right now. God poured his spirit into you the moment you were born again. He gave you the full measure of Christ, who is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And is the fullness that now dwells in you. And that fullness that now dwells in you by the power of the Holy Spirit is doing this work according to his zeal. He is causing his peace and his government to reign. And the reign of his government and peace must begin in our own hearts. The increase of his government and peace is to begin increasing in our own hearts. And so spill over to all. Don't look for an increase of his government and peace out there until you seek it in here. There will not be an increase out here until there is an increase in here. This is where God wants the increase of his government and peace to begin and have no end. Right? In your own heart. This one is peace. Christ is our peace. In John sixteen twenty one, as Jesus is getting ready for his arrest and his subsequent crucifixion, He's talking to his disciples about going away. And he says this in John 16, 21. He says, A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. We often labor trying to produce something, trying to build something. And in that process, peace can escape us because we're trying to build and produce and bring forth in our own power and in our own ability. And in that struggle to do it in ourselves, our strength very often fails. But do you remember the promise Jesus made to the Apostle Paul? 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 Paul, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Parents, have you ever let your children strive to do something you knew they could not do, but you knew that they had to come to that realization on their own? And so you kind of sit there with, with a half grin on your face because you, you know the lesson that they're learning. And you know that even though they're struggling and even though they're frustrated and very often they might start crying, you know that to rescue them at that moment would not be the right thing, but the, the best thing for them would be to let them. But there comes a time Every one of those moments when that parent will walk over and pick that child up in their arms and love them and give them the assurance that they need. This is our God. This is what God does. It might not be in your time or my time, but God in his time as a good parent, as a loving father, he will come and he will take us in his arms and he will give to us what we need. But he also will not deny us the lessons that we need. And the molding and the shaping that we need. Psalm 127.1 says. Unless the Lord build the house. They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. When God produces something. When God is building the house. Though the labor may be difficult and painful. It is momentary. When God is building and producing and bringing forth, though the labor may be intense and painful, the joy and the peace that he brings forth is full and everlasting. This is the joy Jesus spoke of in John 15. As he's getting ready to leave and he knows that his disciples don't have a clue really what's fixing to happen. But he tells them, I speak these things to you that my joy may be full in you and that your joy may remain. Did you catch that? His joy is placed in us and his joy becomes our joy. And he says it is full and it is to remain. Therefore, you now have sorrow In the very next verse, after he talks about this woman giving labor, but experiencing joy, he says, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. This is the promise Christ makes to his disciples, and that includes us. They watched him die, they saw him in his resurrection, and their joy became full. We are in the Advent season. Christmas is coming because Christ has come. Mary gave birth to the baby Jesus. The church through the Holy Spirit has given birth to you and me and to all who are in Christ. Christ has come and by faith we have seen him in the resurrection. May your heart rejoice. May your joy be full and may no one take it from you. For this is the promise of God to all who are In Christ. Amen. Let's all stand. So I challenge you this morning. To seek him. And so seek his peace. In Christ I challenge you to find contentment. To see God at work in all things. To have a heart that rejoices. And to abide and rest in this one. Who is peace. Father in heaven. We thank you. That Christ himself has become our peace. May his peace surpass our understanding. May his peace surround us each in all things. Give us eyes to see. To know that Christ himself has become our peace. Praise God for Christ has come And he himself is our peace. We pray this, Father. We declare this to your glory, to our good and to your glory. Bless your people, Father. May we celebrate with joy, with fullness of joy, as we celebrate the coming of our Savior. May that coming bring us great peace great assurance that whatever we may be walking through, whatever we may see around us, there is a God that surrounds us, that encompasses us, that holds us in his very hands, that we abide in and that abides in us. And this God who is from of old and from everlasting, he is the ruler, he is, he is our peace. And we thank you for this in Jesus name. Amen.